This program's about the impossible. There's a good chance that you believe in the impossible. In 1967, Dr. George Wald won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Dr. Wald said, When it comes to the origin of life, there are two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago, but that led us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. This Nobel Prize-winning scientist rejected the science that God had to be the creator of life, the only possible explanation for you. Me, I'm a Christian because I don't believe in the impossible. Stay tuned and let's explore the universe as it really is. I'm Paul and this is CYKIAE. Well, I was wrong. Australia didn't invent no-fault divorce. Who did makes it truly shocking that Gough Whitlam would have copied his idea of all people. It seems that the father of no-fault divorce was that early prototype Trump figure, Ronald Reagan, when he was the governor of California. Times have certainly changed, haven't they? In 1969, he passed the first no-fault divorce laws in America. He later described those laws as his greatest mistake. And he was right. Contrast the views about 50 years after Gough Whitlam introduced no-fault divorce into Australia with the Family Law Act, of the leading feminist who pushed the then-new Labour government of Gough Whitlam to introduce no-fault divorce laws. Elizabeth Evatt is one of those. She says that she still has no regrets about those laws. She's an intelligent woman, and she was one of the main people involved in bringing in those laws. She was the chair of the Royal Commission on Human Relationships, and then she was appointed as the first chief judge of the new Family Law Court. No one would have seen the consequences of no-fault divorce better than her from her lofty heights as the chief judge of the family law court. She would pretty well have instantly seen that those laws were being taken advantage of, not by women subjected to domestic violence, although there were of course women in that category, but also by a flood of people who were just bored with their marriage, perhaps because it wasn't living up to the standards of a Hollywood rom-com. It was no longer as exciting as when they first met. As the military would say, children were collateral damage to this easily available divorce. But nothing to worry about. Kids are resilient, right? Elizabeth Everett in the book Women and Whitlam wrote, I have not always waved from my support for the general principles of the Family Law Act. The model it established was admired around the world and remains one of the great legacies of Gough Whitlam and his Attorney General, Lionel Murphy. 
Does this lead us to the conclusion that what happened with the divorce rates soaring was what she was hoping for when she pressed for the introduction of no-fault divorce? It's consistent with socialist policy, which wants the family ended and its role taken on by the state. So how would children suffer from divorce? In what ways and what did no-fault divorce do? to the institution of marriage. Sociologists Paul Amato and Alan Booth have conducted many studies on divorce. From all of their research, the data, I have to say unsurprisingly, made the following findings. One, if the choice is between staying in a high-conflict marriage that exposes children to domestic violence or constant shouting matches and getting a divorce, then in this scenario, although divorce is very damaging to children, in this environment, divorce is the best option for the children. Let's face it, the children that I spoke about in the last program weren't living in that environment. The mother living in this situation, telling her children that their parents are getting divorced, isn't going to take them by surprise, isn't going to shock them. They've probably wondered how much longer their mother was going to put up with it. Two of all divorces, one-third are divorces in high-conflict marriages. That's a proper situation for divorce, as I've just said, sadly for children, even where there are children of the marriage. And finally, two-thirds of divorces are where the parties are in low-conflict marriages. The children that I gave examples of at the beginning of the last program, whose seemingly orderly lives were destroyed when, for them, out of the blue, the parents tell them that they're getting a divorce. This isn't an appropriate situation where divorce should be allowed in a marriage that has been entered into as a lifetime commitment. Now, divorce provides an escape route from till death us do part to one of the people in the marriage thinking that they can now imagine their world having someone much better for them than you, their spouse. That's most likely just a delusion, especially when they're engaging in that heart racing, sneaking around behind their spouse's back. And it turns into fights with that new person over toilet seats being left up or put down. Everyday life just isn't sexy or generally exciting. It needs two adults to be in the relationship who want to make it work. Authors Alan J. Hawkins, Tamara A. Fackrell and Stephen M. Harris in their 2013 book, Should I Try to Work It Out, found that 73% of couples cited lack of commitment as their reason for divorce with three-quarters of those who divorce blaming their divorce on a lack of commitment, it's easy to see how no-fault divorce has served to profoundly damage the institution of marriage. No-fault divorce has given rise to disposable marriages. While that kind of marriage requires little investment from adults, but when they divorce, they can ruin their children's entire lives and the lives of all those poor people who their children get involved with. It's an avalanche effect. No fault divorce has turned marriages from a lifelong commitment 
to something that can be casually ended. It stands to reason that since marriage is no longer a union between a man and a woman until death, that marriage can be entered into casually. Even if you promised till death you depart with both hands behind your backs and fingers crossed. And for those people for whom that is too much of a commitment, wow. Today it goes like this. A couple vows to stay committed to each other through sickness and health, wealth and poverty, promising to remain true until one of them passes away. But then, after 10 years or whatever, even disposable marriages last much longer than relations of couples who just shack up because they won't even commit to a walkaway marriage. Anyway, as I said, that couple after, say, 10 years or whatever is before a court, with at least one of them exercising their unilateral right to end the marriage and wanting to have the court divide up their assets and sorting something out about the future of the children of that marriage, whose lives they're in the process of utterly destroying. It turns out that children aren't resilient. They're fragile, handled with care. It's no surprise that children raised in this culture of disposable marriages have grown up to be adults who are sceptical of marriage, and they're not doing it. Practically no one except the people at the top financial percentages who are still getting married and because of it are steadily pulling away in quality of life from all the no-married couples. The new married elite are having better lives in every category. Happier, wealthier, with children who are generally very high achievers who go on to have successful lives themselves. So are marriages that are in the 73% category of I'm bored with you even able to be saved? American divorce lawyer and blogger Sonia Frontera in her 4 August 2021 blog, If you divorce now, will you regret your divorce later? It's in her interest to make sure you get divorced. But she says, while drowning in the misery of my marriage, I came across a frightening statistic. 50% of people who divorced regretted their decision and wished they had worked harder at saving their marriages. Katie Faust, in her book, Then Before Us, says, My husband's pastoral duties require my presence when counselling couples through porn addiction, sexual problems, controlling behaviour, unpacking childhood baggage, mental health challenges, communication issues, and affairs both physical and emotional. Let me tell you what fixing a broken marriage is hard work that often requires professional help and accountability. It means finding a way to make changes in your life and at the same time showing grace to your spouse as he or she makes the necessary changes. Gambling is considered a sin in my home, but it's a safe bet that walking the narrow path between patience and personal change is the most challenging aspect of repairing a marriage. I've witnessed many couples rescue their marriages from the brink of certain death. I've seen almost all the dysfunction there is to see in marriage, and I can assure you that in nearly every situation, no matter how deeply the couple is divided, it is possible to resuscitate a moribund marriage. At its core, divorce is a transference. It's the act of swapping adults' short-term misery 
for their children's long-term physical and emotional health. According to the non-profit research centre Child Trends, divorce is categorised as an adverse child experience, or ACE. ACEs are potentially traumatic events that can have negative, lasting effects on health and well-being. These experiences range from physical, emotional or sexual abuse to parental divorce or the incarceration of a parent or guardian. So unless a spouse or child is in danger, divorce is off the table for the defender of children's rights. After all, the adults are responsible for creating marital discord, so they are also responsible for restoring harmony. Divorce is very often the beginning of the disastrous storm in a child's life. It's the beginning that starts off a cascade of adverse childhood experiences. Typically, a divorce is the beginning for a post-divorce child of a round of cohabiting parents, remarriage, and very frequently, more divorces. Many of these changes involve the very important change of where the child lives, which very often means the loss of the children's childhood sanctuary, sometimes because they're forced to move, other times because they're forced to share their home with their new step-family. I covered how badly stepmothers, stepfathers, and stepchildren go in parts 9 and 10 of this series. Often there's going to be a new baby born to the new biological parent, and their new partner, giving what's called a blended family. Blended families are bad for the children of the original marriage. Statistically, second marriages have a higher failure rate than the first marriages. That means that for many children, the first divorce that they're caught up in is definitely not going to be their last. In 1971, Judith Wallerstein began studying the long-term effects of divorce, She studied 131 children from 60 divorced families in Martin County in California. She followed them for 25 years. Every five years, she conducted intensive interviews with them. In the words of Judith Wallerstein, divorce is deceptive. Legally, it is a single event, but psychologically, it is a chain, sometimes a never-ending chain of events relocations and radically shifting relationships strung through time, a process that forever changes the lives of the people involved. And that's especially true for the children involved. Jennifer Johnson, an adult child of a divorce, reminisced, I have a lot of experiences with divorce, far too much to ask of any one person in my opinion. My parents divorced when I was three and went on to subsequent marriages, divorces, different children, a lot of back and forth between two homes, and a lot of chaos. By the time I was about 22, I had experienced three divorces, my own parents' divorce and my dad's two subsequent divorces. In an article entitled D-I-V-O-R-C-E, the kids aren't all right, grown-up children from divorced families have their say on the effects of their parents' split that was published in the Daily Mail newspaper in England on 14 September 2013. Journalist Holly Thomas 
amongst many others, interviewed Mike, who recounted what happened to his life after his father's affair. Dad stayed in France and we lived with Mum. When I was 14, she married a Spanish guy who convinced her to move to Spain. So we went to Malaga. That was annoying. I had to leave the good school I'd got into and move somewhere where I knew no one. After a month, my mother's new husband threatened to kill her. I found out about it when she picked me up at the school gates crying and told me we're going home. My response was quite indicative of the effect that the situation had already had on my psyche. I remember just saying, whatever. There had been so much turbulence already, I was fairly numb by that point. Maria remembered on a post on the Them Before Us website entitled, Divorce was a one-time event for my dad, but it was the beginning of countless losses for me. While I was with my mom, things were stable. It was the cycle of girlfriends in my dad's life that was the most challenging. My dad had several long-term girlfriends. Some of them had children. We would often live as a family, have weekends away together, share meals, and sometimes share a home. Then they would be gone. A month later, there would be a new woman. Within a few weeks, I would wake up and find her in the kitchen brewing the morning coffee. Jennifer Schwartz's story, entitled A Child of Divorce, My Story, was told in the Huffington Post of 5 August 2010. She endured a constant churn of family members. It's been seven years since their divorce was finalised, and you might think that those seven years would have brought some sort of peace. Guess again. During those seven years, my dad remarried, my mum remarried, and then my dad got divorced again. I gained five step-siblings, then lost three. I've used the expression, kids are resilient, a few times in this program, using it sarcastically. It's a crutch that adults, who are doing the wrong thing by their children in getting divorced, lean on. They believe, or they more likely convince themselves, that divorce won't affect their kids in the long term. After all, have you met their children? Someone might say, their kids are special, they're stronger, more adaptable, and they're going to be just fine. It's true, kids are resilient, but only when they're properly nourished by the three imperative socio-emotional staples that children must have in their lives. Their biological mother's love, their biological father's love, and st stability, all of which are absent or drastically reduced after their parents' divorce. Katie Faust's book, Then Before Us, examines what happens to children in three situations. The first is divorce or abandonment. The second is sperm and or egg donation and surrogacy. And the third is same-sex parents. The one thing the children in each of these categories have in common is that it's the children who have been required to make sacrifices to accommodate the adult's behaviour. Katie Faust says, Whether it's the result of parents coming out and leaving the marriage, 
the use of an egg or sperm donor or dad's running off with his secretary, the loss of a parent because adult desire was prioritized over the child's rights require the child to do the emotional heavy lifting. Every one of these kids is expected to understand and accommodate the parent's romantic and sexual desires in the resulting household. That's exactly backwards. Adults, the humans with the fully formed brains and emotional intelligence, are supposed to do the hard things. Adults are supposed to understand, accommodate, and support their children, not vice versa. Yet, when adult desire is prioritized over the rights of children, the parent-child relationship appears reversed. The children are required to do hard things, to support their parents' wishes. We are inundated by tales of what adults want in family matters. It's time we listen to kids, the true victims created when we arrive at the wrong answers to questions about marriage and family. If we do, we will create a path forward for healthy children, healthy families, and a healthy society. If we refuse to hear their voices, children will continue to be mere constituents of adult fulfillment, starved of the emotional staples they require to really thrive. Our collective investment in future generations is imperative if society is to be presided over by adults who, as children, were provided the necessary socio-emotional diet they require to flourish in adulthood. As Katie Faust notes, it's very often the role of the parent and child that is reversed. Our children, the little people that we're supposed to nurture and be responsible for and sacrifice for, are likely going to have to sacrifice things for us after the parents' divorce. They're going to have to provide emotional support for their parents. They're going to have to be sympathetic, understanding, respectful, and polite to their unhappy, confused, all-at-sea parents. And they're likely to have to extend this to their parents' new partners if they've found somebody and get the kids involved with these new adults. And especially if that someone moves in with the parent and the kids at home. Whether it's for the long haul or a one-night or a one-night-plus stand. Thanks for listening into this program, CYKIAE. If you missed it, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE, Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast sites. Just look at my program details on Cairns FM 89.1 for clickable links. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Gafcon Northern Hope Anglican Church, at the Peace Lutheran College off Cowley Street, Camarunga. Just follow the signs some Sunday at 9am. If you liked this program, you should definitely listen in to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on those same sites. Search Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close brackets.